This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men. We are the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. It is the day after the Oscars. Uh, in the case of some of us, it is still the day of the Oscars because we have not been to sleep. This is the second year in a row that Mike and I, Mike, uh, Vanity Fair digital director. Hi, Mike. Hello. It's the second year in a row we have stayed up all night after the Vanity Fair Oscar party and called Richard in New York. Hi, Richard. Hello. Hi. And uh, we have Joanna around as well. She was uh, joining us for a lot of our Oscar night coverage and we'll hopefully have her on later. Anyway. I mean, I feel like the day after the Oscars, everything feels crazy and really exciting. But this was a really crazy and exciting Oscars. Yeah, it was really nuts. And I, I kind of have to defer to you guys because you, you were on the ground and really in the moment with this thing. It That's the, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, we, neither of us were at the Oscars. Like we were, I think we were all staring at television screens when this happened. Right. But you were in the city. You were in the room where it happens in a more metaphorical sense, I guess. <laughs> we were in the room with the people who were in the room when it happened. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked to Rebecca Keegan a fair amount. She had a lot of good reporting. She was there. And we actually have a clip of the moment when Rebecca Keegan joined us on the live stream, kind of directly back from the Dolby Theater to explain what had happened with this envelope mix-up when she watched it behind the scenes. You were backstage when that insanity happened, and we need to know every single detail about it, so please start talking. Indeed. Well, the first thing that happened was, as La La Land was called, and the group started making their way up to the stage, I heard a stage manager say, oh my God, oh my God. Oh, my God. And then uh, the two accountants ran from the different wings of the stage toward the stage. Um, then the rest of the, the Price Waterhouse accounts. So, Price Waterhouse so our accounts. conspiracy theory that they somehow did this in retaliation for being cut out of the broadcast. Not true. You're going to debunk. Interesting. That. <laughs> had not heard that theory. <laughs> had not a lot going on in this live stream. Right. Just checking. Had not heard that theory. But so then what happens you see the te- what you guys all saw happen on TV, um, and then Warren Beatty comes backstage and uh, weeping, crying. He looks super tense, and Gary Natoli, the stage manager, says, "Mr. Beatty, uh, security would like to see the envelopes." And Warren says, "I'm not turning them over. I will give them to Barry Jenkins at an appropriate moment." Then everyone, all of the producers and the stage managers, went to huddle. Um, and they kicked the press out. But when I left, which was about 25 minutes ago, they still had not gotten the envelopes from Warren Beatty. And I, I bumped into Mike DeLuca, the producer of the Oscars, in an elevator, and I said, Mike, what happened? He yeah. said, said uh, I'm going to let the Academy comment on that. I still don't know. Jimmy Kimmel also said, I have no idea what just happened. So and that's like an it seems like a lot of scandal. stories have been coming out where like Emma Stone said she had her envelope in hand and like no one really seems to know. Like everyone seems to think they had their envelope right. It's this incredible, enduring mystery. It is a mystery. And, you know, what's interesting is that uh, it appears that that there were two Best Actress envelopes for Emma Stone, that there were duplicates. Right. So somehow um, Beatty ended up with 
a second envelope announcing the same winner in his hands rather than the best picture winner. The other interesting thing is as poor Barry Jenkins and the Moonlight crew come back, I mean, they just sort of had this incredible moment kind of robbed from them uh, because everyone's wondering what happened. Um, And, you know, Barry Jenkins put his hand on Warren Beatty's arm and said, much respect, sir, much respect. And I was like, how is your head even there right now? Like, God bless you, Barry Jenkins. Mine would be somewhere else, I suspect. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we've been talking all night about the class that everybody showed in that in that situation mm-hmm. from the La La Land team to be like, hey, guys, this is we didn't win to the Moonlight team to 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 kind of show respect for them and say, hey, we've all been on a long road together right. to Warren Beatty to say to stand up and explain it, insist on the time to explain it. But what do you think? Why do you think he's not turning over the the envelopes? Or do I don't know. Sense? I don't know if Beatty uh, is is I, I honestly don't know what's going on in his head and I don't know. Beatty's very involved in the academy. So is his wife, Annette Benning. She's the governor of the academy. Yeah. Um, so I suspect that there will be some high-level conversations with the academy about what actually happened. Um, it's interesting, too, backstage. Faye Dunaway did not seem in any way bothered by it. She was standing there just, like, eating cashews off a, <laughs> off a plate. And it was like, hey, that was kind of a I mean, thing that just happened. And she's just like, whatever. And she honestly, she was one who was in the power to look at the envelope and say, this says best actress. This is the wrong envelope, as opposed to kind of causing the chaos. that are, Not that she right. caused it. It's not her fault. but Right. And what's interesting is they, they like to give the presenters the envelope literally the split second before they go on stage because things happen. People put things down and pick up other things. And this is precisely why. So this is, I mean, you know, this is my 11th Oscars. I've never seen anything like this. It's bonkers. It's kind of fun because the producers were hoping for a spontaneous moment like the streaker in 74 or Jennifer <laughs> yeah. Lawrence falling up the stairs and like they got it. This topped it. The, right? Topped them all. Right, yeah. it did. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. It was just yeah. unbelievable. Hey, Joanna, uh, did you join? Yeah, yeah, yeah Joanna, I'm here. What was your thought when you realized that the entire world had collapsed and uh, Moonlight had won the best picture? <laughs> I was so happy um, and confused, but but mostly happy because you guys know that that's what I really wanted to have happen. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to process it all. And actually, I think most of all overwhelmed by the La La Land producer who was so gracious yeah, yeah you know? I've been seeing a lot yeah. about him uh, as we kind of recovered. I've been watching the clip over and over again of the moment this happened. And not just that he kind of, you know, got up there and was like, here you go, Moonlight, but that he like really went out of his way. Like he didn't slink away from the microphone, even after having given his acceptance speech. Yeah. And yeah. he said, this is your award. Here you go. And he like stood there and handed it to Barry Jenkins. Like he really went above and yeah. beyond. Yeah. His name is Jordan Horowitz. And he also like showed the envelope to the camera. Like I feel like he did all these things so that people couldn't say rigged or whatever, <laughs> fake news or whatever they would want to say. Yeah. Like, here's the proof you saw it with your own eyeballs, you know. Yeah, and he, the La La Land producer did the right thing. 
you know, which oh, uh, is important. I think that unfortunately his doing the right thing seems to have kind of trumped Moonlight winning in a way in terms of like the, the kind of honor of the moment, which is too bad and maybe a little bit telling in terms of kind of racial politics, frankly. But yeah, it was crazy. And uh, I, I think that ultimately there seemed to be goodwill between these two entities, between the Lala camp and the Moonlight camp. And yeah, um, that's I mean, I don't, I don't think it trumps anything. I mean, you know, it was a great way to respond in an insane situation that nobody asked for. I mean, the, yeah. the Moonlight team certainly got screwed, as did the La La Land team. The La La Land team was humiliated, and the Moonlight team had their big moment you know, confused and sort of half taken away from them. But I, I don't think it has to be an either or thing. It's not like because we are praising this guy for doing the right thing, it doesn't mean that anyone's taking a moment away from Moonlight. Sorry, I'm cranky, but I, <laughs> no, I see a lot no, of people I mean, saying that and it's pissing me off. It's like everybody behaved beautifully. Why are we trying to turn this into a conflict? I know. I well, it's, it was interesting because I was watching a lot of the backstage footage of the whole team coming backstage, and they look—they're like stunned. They're shell shocked. Yeah. Naomi Harris looks upset, like sad, and and well, Barry it's a Jenkins colossal screw up. By yeah, the way. and Barry and Barry Jenkins wouldn't give an interview, and I think it was like. I don't know. They wouldn't, didn't want to go further because they're like, well, what if this is a mistake too? And it all gets taken yeah. away. Like we don't yeah. even want to celebrate yeah. because maybe it's not real. I don't know. It was so weird. And then according to Rebecca, then what happened was Warren Beatty wouldn't turn the envelopes over to anybody until he oh. gave them to Barry Jenkins. He said, I'm giving these to Barry Jenkins. And they went upstairs or whatever. And he gave them to him. I think Barry Jenkins appreciated that. And, um, yeah, because you want to see the envelopes for himself, like let Barry, like not just have someone tell Barry Jing is what happened, but it's kind of see it to understand that, you know, it was real. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess Pricewaterhouse is taking the fall for this as of now. So, you know, that makes sense since they're the ones who put their reputation on the line in terms of auditing the results. But, yeah, what uh, I heard, I think this was from Rebecca, like some point in the middle of our party, and, and I don't know that this is even verified, but I think the operating theory is that somehow, there, so there are duplicates of every single envelope. There's one on either side of the stage so that presenters can come from either uh, way and have the envelope. So there was a second Emma Stone envelope floating out there, and the idea is that uh, Warren Beatty got two. So he was given both the Emma Stone envelope and the proper Moonlight Best Picture envelope, but he only opened the Emma Stone one. I mean, you can watch like the Zapruder tape to figure out exactly what happened. It doesn't add up. Yeah, it really only looked like he only he had one envelope in his hand, and the you know internet supporter people have like zeroed him on it in it and on it. It says best like best oh, actress in a leading role. Yeah. Like, yeah, I didn't see that he had a second envelope. Like, but I I didn't know that there were two envelopes, one on each like wing, and that makes sense to me. That maybe I learned he was just tonight. yeah, maybe he was just handed you know because Emma Stone was like I had my envelope in my hand the whole time. I don't know what they're talking about, but if there was a second actress envelope. Oh, wow, you guys, so, uh, who knew me, that this to is To me, the remarkable thing about. is this whole, like, Milgram experiment, like, people will just obey the envelope, you know? Like, the, the thing that I open <laughs> says this movie, right. so, like, it's not like, oh, you know, actually, maybe, guys, like, can we can we pause for a second? This is wrong. It was like, it says La La Land, we have to say La La Land, <laughs> uh, you know? Because it wasn't, obviously, Dunaway or Beatty's fault, but it was just, but you could tell something was off from there, and um, I don't know, I just... I'm still a little bit kind of rattled by it. It was just such a strange thing to see. I don't want to throw one person under this bus, but I'm going to. Um, oh. 
No, it's Get just, ready. <laughs> like Beatty opens the envelope and he sees Emma Stone Lalin. He's clearly like if you watch the video, he's so, clearly so confused. And he's like, what's going on? And he shows it to Faye to be like, what do we do? And then she just glances at it, sees the word La La Land, and just says it. Like, that's all that happened. Is she just, like, looks. She's like, I see words. It's La La Land. You're stalling. Why are you being funny, Warren? And she just says it. So, like, if I were to put it on one person, it's Faye Dunaway. But it's not really her fault, I guess. But, like, Warren Beatty, like, it's clear in that video that he didn't stop it after Faye Dunaway said it. But it's all oh, it's all terribly awkward. Well, I mean, like, yeah, like, what do you do? You're in front of a billion people or whatever. I mean, Leslie Mann, when we did our live stream, she said, before I went on, somebody told me, oh, 700 million people are watching. She's like, at that point, your brain just short circuits. You you can't even be nervous because it's so bizarre. But it's true. I mean, it's a surreal environment to be in. And so your brain is probably not functioning the way it normally would. You know, you're kind of up there like, oh, my God, something's gone wrong. What do I do? And Ooh. I guess for Faye Dunaway, it's possible that, you know, yeah, all she saw was La La Land or she just thought, well, what the hell else am I going to say? I don't know. I love, though, the way Rebecca paints it is that Faye Dunaway had, you know, of all the people, didn't feel bad at all and was just sort of like enjoying the, the moment. <laughs> I kind of yeah. admire that in a weird way, this sort of old fashioned Hollywood like, well, here we are. Everyone's talking about me. It makes you wonder, like, in the past, Sands, a kind of diligent uh, stage manager or assistant stage manager, whoever it was that ran out with the headset, or diligent accountants, like, maybe it's just happened before. And just and people just all went with it. <laughs> they just kind of were whole, like, yep, yeah, all right, we're going to go with this. That was the whole conspiracy theory or the yeah. urban legend that Marissa Tomei didn't actually win the Oscar and Jack Pallant said the wrong right. name. And they just let her have the Oscar. And the Academy has always said, like, no, 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 no. If something like that happens, we step on stage and intervene. And now we see right. exactly what happens. Like, I, it makes me feel more confident than ever that Marissa Tomei won her Oscar. <laughs> I, I think she did, too. Yeah. <laughs> the, 17 was the great redeemer for Marissa Tomei. <laughs> year. So we have this crazy situation. And we, you know, we'll still be getting to the bottom of how this makes up happen forever. But let's just talk about how Moonlight won Best Picture. I think it's something we all kind yeah. of convinced ourselves with something that critics love that the Academy wasn't going to go for. Like it seemed like such an easy setup for La La Land. And I think we kind of did the opposite of the election thing where we just confidently assumed like, Oh, well the thing that we truly really love isn't going to happen. And then something totally surprising happened instead. What, what pushed pushed Moonlight over the top? I feel like I owe Joanna an apology really because I feel like I mansplained to you earlier in the season like no no Joanna don't get you know your hopes up about this like that's not how this works. The reality is it happened. So I don't know Joanna what do you think? I, I mean I definitely wouldn't call it mansplained because like as soon as you convinced me what you did that I was being silly I then went around and like Joanna explained to other people I was like please <laughs> <laughs> Don't go into the Oscars thinking Moonlight's going to win, guys. Don't be silly. It's going to be La La Land. Like, I've been saying that for weeks. You know, I know when we hashed out categories, I would be like, but maybe Moonlight. So, I, you know, I felt like I had some feeble hope, but I certainly wouldn't give myself any credit for predicting anything right. I was with all of you. I thought La La Land, there was no way it could be beat. I think that Best Picture is increasingly hard to predict given this kind of tiered voting system, you know, where there, where things are weighted and they do rounds of kind of tabulating the votes with, yes. you know, the number one choices. Because, you know, I'm going to go out on a kind of maybe bad limb and say that I do not think that I bet you that La La Land won the kind of initial number one vote. Oh, interesting. And that something but didn't else, get 50%. They didn't get 50%. I think probably something else spoiled La La Land in the end, and that Moonlight, which was probably many, many, many people's number two, 
you know, got to win. And I think because it won best editing, it was Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, I was actually wondering if it was maybe Hacksaw Ridge and like the Mel yeah. Gibson contingent. Yeah, I don't know. But the other thing I was going to say is, you know, we definitely have to take into account the thing we were talking about early in the season, which is what effect will these new Academy members have mm-hmm. on the kind of voting we see? The yes. influx of younger, more diverse blood into the you know into the voting system. Is that what prompted a Moonlight win? I mean, Richard's theory is very conceivable as well. The fact that actually maybe it's the reverse, that there were too many crusty older people voting for Hacksaw Ridge. There's just something weird about yeah. about Damien Chazelle winning Best Director and Hacksaw Ridge winning Best Editing and Moonlight then still winning Best Picture. I don't know. Yeah, there's that something is bizarre. Odd there. Not to diminish Moonlight's win at all. It deserves it, and I'm so glad it got it. But it's just like there's weird. There's something in the air there that I don't. Right, quite... and La La Land won cinematography, which if yeah. you thought Moonlight yeah. was going to be rising, it would that would seem to yeah. be an obvious place where it that's exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, and I thought, Moonlight won three Oscars. I think that I, I I have to find that. I think that might be the fewest Oscars won by a Best Picture winner ever. Three. In my wildest dreams, I think I thought maybe Barry Jenkins would win Best Director and then La La Land would win Best Picture. Like yeah. you know, like if it was gonna split, I thought it might split that way in my wildest dreams. So for it to split the other way is surprising. Yeah. I think once we get over this entire shock thing, I think the story behind Moonlight and also in some ways Manchester by the Sea is this idea of like, you know, being an independent filmmaker and striving and being able to achieve your dream in that way, which is the message of La La Land, too. I think there's an aspirational element to what Barry Jenkins was able to accomplish here. You know, it's going to appeal to what we think of as like the crusty old white Academy voters, even if we don't think Moonlight is necessarily a movie for them. It's like it's a powerful idea that you can make like one independent film and then eight years later come back with your follow up and win this picture. Well, I just feel like La La Land is very Hillary and Moonlight's very Bernie. You know, like La La Land is a perfect (laughs) best picture winner on paper. It felt inevitable. But as Donald Trump likes to say, you know, they ought to figure out how to measure enthusiasm because the reality is like no one was really that enthusiastic for La La Land. Uh, once, I feel like a lot of people were. Thing passed. Um, well, I, yeah, by the end of it, I've heard I heard a lot more backlash than I heard enthusiasm for it and we all kind of assumed like well that's just our bubble but maybe it wasn't just our bubble you know well and also there was a long stretch of the ceremony last night where la la land was losing awards and just was you know we i think that many people had expected it just to be like a mad max or titanic style you know we were going to hear that music over and over again as people ascended the stage and we just didn't um yeah so that was a show for it to win anything Yeah, yeah it didn't it didn't sweep the technicals like we thought it might I don't know. It's it's just, it's really fascinating to me because like there was this idea that I had that there would be some kind of woke vote. I mean, if you're going to call Moonlight the Bernie of pictures, then this is, then this is like a woke vote that we saw. Right. And so my thought was like, if there was going to be something like that, it would cost Casey Affleck his Oscar. Like that's the category that was most vulnerable. I did not (laughs) think it was best picture that was most vulnerable. So I'll tell you though, you know, I don't know. I was bummed that I gave in and changed my vote on Casey just because my gut was that that was the best performance of the year, you know, and I feel like I did a lot of overthinking this year with Casey. I mean, the dev thing, I knew I was overthinking it and I was just kind of going out on a limb. You know, sometimes it's funny. We I think we at this point talk about this stuff so much 
that yeah. we get to a place where we're like, we've talked ourselves out of the thing that's sitting there right in front of our face. On the other hand, then another thing surprises you and, and Moonlight takes best picture. So <laughs> obviously, yeah, are we ever going to feel confident making Oscar predictions ever again? Because <laughs> no, I, I it mean, did not go how we thought it would. They always go can, sideways. Yeah, we can be more confident about acting categories. Again, I think this best picture thing is very strange now with the way that it's voted on. But we know our predictions, actually, we did okay. We did, we did pretty well, I think, all told. But it was just a weird year. I'm curious from you, Mike and Katie, like what the feeling was on the ground at the party, like, because this was a kind of watershed moment, I think. And, and you guys were sort of, you know, at the scene. Well, I'll tell you this. Damien Chazelle, I heard, was sick. So he didn't go out. And I, I do believe he was not feeling well. But also, I, I thought that was interesting because Damien Giselle has gone to every goddamn event that there's been. And in he the last did. Six he did win an Oscar. He won, and he best, won director. best director. Emma Stone came very late to the Vanity Fair party and came and got her picture taken. Casey Affleck came very late as well. There was a Lionsgate party. You know, there was and there was like a lot the governor's ball. There's the governor's ball. There's all kinds of stuff. You know, I think the Moonlight folks were pretty jubilant. But I think everyone was really freaked out. I think people were just like, what the hell happened? Once again, I watched all these like backstage cameras and audience cameras, some of which coverage you can see on VanityFair.com. The like, I don't know, nine reactions that you didn't see on the telecast. And I was watching, there's this great audience cam of the chaos in the audience while the best picture thing is being sorted out. And there's the Moonlight cast reacting. There's Meryl Streep giving like the best what the hell face that didn't yeah, make it to I've air. Seen I've seen that gift. Damien Giselle's current girlfriend, fiance. Um, girlfriend. Yeah, who was wearing this like lovely violet dress. And the camera was kind of on her because it was on her while she was watching the La La Land people talk. And she just like looks like someone has died and she gets out her phone and she's immediately on her phone. And I was just like, yeah, because as excited as I am for Moonlight, it's just like, oh my God, if I were Damien Chazelle, I'd be like, yeah, I'm done. I'm going home with my Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take my Oscar and go home. Thank you. Well, you know who did the opposite of that was uh, maybe your favorite red carpet person, Joanna, when Viola Davis showed up at our party in a white pantsuit, like very, very luminous and comfy looking, and these gorgeous, shiny sneakers. She got ready to go out and put on her comfortable clothes. I was impressed. Yeah, she looked great. And there were a lot of good pants on women last night. Meryl Streep had an interesting pair of trousers under her dress, and oh, wow. uh, Shirley MacLaine, you know, who did much better than her brother did. <laughs> <laughs> If, if, in case there's I didn't even think about that. There. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. But uh, was there anybody else who you guys were particularly excited to see at the uh, VF party? I was lucky enough to see Viola and uh, Emma both pose for Mark Seliger in the studio. And this year, Mark got portraits of all four acting winners. That's great. So those will go up uh, pretty shortly, I guess. They're, they'll go up this morning. And that was cool. It was cool to see both of them. Viola was so emotional that... She was making everybody else in the room emotional. I mean, she was like, it was that intensity that she had when she accepted it stayed with her, you know, throughout the whole thing. Emma was pretty, you know, intense as well. And then when Casey Affleck came, he came with Kenneth Lonergan and Matt Damon. They were just in a giant scrum of well-wishers. They hung out for, for quite a while. And I was happy to see, you know, whatever else you want to say about Casey Affleck. I think it was a great performance. I'm I'm happy for him. I don't know, you know, whether this would probably be the, I don't know, this might be the high point of his career. Who knows? But it was at least, it was cool to see them kind of celebrating. And they looked, everybody looked sort of, it wasn't like people were like, 
fist pumping and you know what I mean? People seemed kind of, there was some weird electricity in the air that people felt like a weightiness this year. I don't know why exactly. Probably because that weird thing at the end just, just uh, made everyone realize how, I guess, I don't know what. How... I don't know, Mike. I got to the corner of the party where there's a dance floor and there was a whole group of people and what I'm told were, you know, some of the Moonlight crew where they were dancing and then there was an Oscar in the middle and they, one person would grab the Oscar and jump in the middle of the circle and dance, and another person would grab the Oscar and uh, <laughs> good. They, were having a, they were having a great oh, time. Good. I was just in the wrong part of the party then. <laughs> oh, and Richard, I've been dying to tell you that in that dance party was uh, Isabel Huppert, who was uh, dancing away. Oh, my love. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I told you this, Katie, last night, but uh, I'll tell the others. I was DMing, direct messaging on Twitter with Barry Jenkins last night a little bit because we met earlier in this whole circuit and have been a, a tiny bit in touch since. And, um, you know, he just seemed as kind of even keel, great, like cool and grateful and happy as he did back in when we first met uh, at the Toronto Film Festival uh, post uh, Telluride. So he, you know, uh, whatever drama was swirling around this at its center, Barry Jenkins just seems to have been a kind of consummate, just cool guy. And, and, you know, I'm glad that he seems to be having fun or had fun last night, rather. I don't want to spring like Oscar trivia on you guys this early in the morning for some of us, but um, <laughs> James Poniewozik of the New York Times sort of put this question to Twitter early in the Dan Sunday where he was like, when's the last year you can remember the film that won Best Picture actually being the best film of that year? And for me, I had to go back to American Beauty, in my opinion, my subjective opinion, American Beauty, which was 2000. But I gen like for me, Moonlight was the best film of this year and it won. And that's sort of incredible to me. Do you guys have... That's 12 Years a Slave for me, not that long ago. Okay, yeah. But yeah, no, it's definitely not that common. I would say Crash for me, obviously. It's... Yeah, <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> Still a movie I respond to. And actually, Katie, Crash won three Oscars. So... Ah, there we go. Uh... Interesting pair. Yeah, a movie about racism and then one that solves it. So, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so all right, we all watched the ceremony. Like, what else did we like about it? How's Jimmy Kimmel? Do we think he was a good host? I thought Kimmel was actually pretty good. There were some moments where, you know, we didn't need the mean tweets at that point in the evening. I thought that he really leaned way too heavily on this joke about him and Matt Damon that I don't think that most lay people don't really remember where that or originated. It was just like, oh, right, that thing. But I thought he did well otherwise. I thought he had a good tone. And I know it was polarizing on Twitter. But I really loved when they brought these random tour bus people in. Me and too. And so basically every famous person on earth yeah. because, like, in the front row. I thought it was really original and fun and did what the Oscars has long struggled to kind of recapture, which is point out the kind of grandeur of it. That was a really good way to be like, yes, there are so many movie stars in one place right and, now. You know, yeah. sorry, but the people on Twitter are like treating these people like zoo animals isn't a good look. It might say more about them than it says about the people or Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they're not zoo animals. They're human beings from a freaking tour bus. And it's yeah. funny to bring them in and have them meet movie stars. You I know? think it should be the movie stars more like those zoo animals. He's just, yeah, yeah exactly. So true. <laughs> um, <laughs> And if you go to Keith Urban's Twitter, which I know you often do, um, <laughs> you will see you'll see that you know that he was taking video on his phone of the moment. So it's an even more like up close and personal, like Nicole Kidman's right there being like super gracious and lovely to these to these people. And it's yeah, the whole thing just came off like a charm, I thought. I mean, 
I actually could have done without the like candy and whatever falling from the sky. Like that's clearly that's... like a native integration, wasn't it? I mean, for like Mike and Ike's or whatever. It I felt like, like some... it, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm so naive. Yes, you're right. Of course it is. <laughs> um... <laughs> Follow the money, Joanna. Follow the money. <laughs> but I actually, money. I actually, I'm going to disagree with with Richard and say I actually kind of liked the Kimmel Damon thing only because like you're right. He leaned into it very hard. And you're also right that not everyone knows that this has been like a nine-year running gag on his late night show. But they did it the Emmys when when he hosted the Emmys in September. They did it in to a lesser degree. And I think it almost didn't matter because Matt Damon is such an actual star that the fact that he had this star engaged in a long-running bit with him and the fact that the two of them are so good at this bit at this point, I don't know. It works for me. Like, Damon's reaction shots are so good. He's yeah. so good at looking really burned uh, but <laughs> in a way that's so obviously fake. And yet it's kind of, you're also kind of asking yourself. And the fact that Damon was up for best picture as a producer, it did kind of give it an extra charge. That was sort of fun. I mean, he was right, right from the start. He's like, oh, this would be really fun. Watch Matt Damon lose an Oscar. I mean, you know, then you, then you get the reaction shot. I bought it. I was kind of in for it. Well, that was the, right, maybe not was... 100 times, but, you know, the first two or three was great. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Kitty. Our own Julie Miller overheard Jimmy Kimmel inside the Vanity Fair party and saying, like, can you imagine if Warren Beatty had said Manchester by the Sea? And then he had to stand up there and be like, I'm sorry, Matt Damon, I'm taking your Oscar away. Literally, people would have thought it was a bit. Like, yeah. like Jimmy Kimmel is very aware that, like, that would have been an even bigger disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the thing that made it work the best for me was the hat trick of the, like, because when you have Javier Bardem saying, like, Meryl Streep and Bridges of Madison County was really important to me. And I was like, what is happening in this? <laughs> <laughs> what is this bit? But then the fact that it ended with this send up of We Bought a Zoo, which, you know, I, I still have some affection for, but, you know, Damon's game to make fun of We Bought a Zoo. I mean, that's good showmanship. Well, Kimmel said he'll never get invited back because of the way that the night ended. I don't know that that it none of it obviously had anything to do with Kimmel, but you it's know he'll Kimmel. always, be, he'll always be associated with it though. And I thought he pulled it off. Like I thought he handled it yeah. as well as he might have. You know. No, I think the problem is that I mean, you know, it may not be their fault, but now that we're seeing that there was also an in memoriam thing that got screwed up, where someone who's alive was shown in the in memoriam. I mean, it's usually the it, wrong picture for someone's right. name. Is yeah. that why I was in that reel? Because I was like, <laughs> yeah, <don't> worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, Patricia Arquette talked to Michelle Collins on our red carpet and was really upset that her sibling was not included in the in memoriam. So I don't know. Maybe there's some other controversy coming well, there. So I brought that up for VanityFair.com. I'm just going to keep plugging our site, guys. It's early. Yeah. Mike, and, Mike and Ike's in VanityFair.com. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have, we have a post about that with all of Patricia's comments. But when I was looking that up, I was like, okay, well, who else is left out that people are upset about? And Gary Shandling, who's not really a movie guy, but he was left out. And then Robert Vaughn was left out. Yeah, you there's know, always people, right? I mean, there, it's just... Yeah, Patricia's point, she felt like it, well... The point she was making is that it felt like a pointed slight towards the trans community. And, and she makes the correct point that it would have probably mattered to some trans kids to see her sister, Alexis, who was in like an early sort of groundbreaking publicly trans person. But I don't think that was the reason why, if I had to guess, if right, like right, someone right. like Gary Shandling's also left out. So Yeah. Sorry. So my, that was a long way to get to this point, which is, I thought the producers put on a really good show, but I think that as that Daily News front page from today 
you had one job suggests like <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's tough to live that down. I think it's tough to come back and be asked back again. I would be surprised if they were like, great, let's do it again. Even if it's not their fault, it's just kind of, you know, somebody's got to take the fall for that. It's a pretty massive screw up. And it's one that like, you know, I would feel so bad if Linus Sandgren had gone up and accepted best cinematography and they were like, Oh, Linus, actually, sorry. It's, uh, you know, Brad for Young or something. But, like, for Best right. Picture, to do it at the very end yeah. like that, it was just, yeah. like, I don't care how it happened or who, you know, it's just unforgivable. It's just, like, that's, yeah, you it's, literally had one job. <laughs> that, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bad. Well, guys, it's uh, getting be close to 6 a.m. here in Los Angeles. I, I want to go to bed. And we're going to have another episode this week to kind of rehash anything else we haven't talked about. It, it does seem like the story about what the Academy is going to do is uh, going to be continuing. Uh, but in the meantime, I mean, other than the big mix-up, what is maybe the big thing we'll remember either win-wise or just moment we think that will stick with us from these Oscars? I think I'll remember Viola Davis' speech. You know, she tends to kind of go for vague kind of grandeur when she wins these awards. And she's her kind of... Thoughts don't always coalesce sometimes, I think. But I think here in this case, she did. She talked a lot about how August Wilson uh, kind of basically exhumed lives that, you know, had sort of been overlooked or forgotten. I thought she was very powerful, spoke to the moment and uh, looked fantastic while doing it. For me, that's my stick out moment. What about the guy, Kevin? What about Kevin? I would. That was gonna be my pick. I was okay, gonna say. Okay, good. You gotta do Kevin. <laughs> yeah, Kevin O'Connell, the uh, sound mixer who won on his twenty-first Oscar nomination. He was on uh, Little Gold Men. Actually, I guess the last episode before this, we talked to him last Friday. He talked about how his mother had gotten him into this career, and he had waited to be able to thank her in an Oscar speech, and she passed away. But now he finally got the chance. I was so moved seeing him up there. It was really. I was so glad to know the story behind it because that adds so much to those categories that. Maybe you're harder for us to understand. So congratulations, Kevin O'Connell. Well, yeah. That was the little gold men bump. That was us. We did yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Katie. So proud. Uh, what about you, Joanna? Um, I'm going to give it to Ali Crovallo, who's the 16-year-old star of Moana. I knew she had an amazing voice. I wanted her to go out there and kill it, which I think she, you know, 93% did. And I thought she was amazing. And to me, it seems like a big, basically a big audition piece for her. Because when she was in Moana, nobody, like, you don't never see her. So you're never like, oh, this amazing teenager who sounds beautiful and looks beautiful and all this sort of stuff. And so I'm really hoping that people who are in the auditorium there will cast her in the million La La Land knockoffs that we have coming in our future. (laughs) Yeah, she was great. Uh, Mike, what about you? I think it was Mel Gibson and just how heartfelt his laughter was every time somebody made a joke about him. <laughs> it's a comfortable guy. Or maybe, or maybe Denzel's face when Casey won because he just seemed so... Oh my God, he was so upset. upset. <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. All right, but seriously though, as the idiot who thought that he might not win, Mahershala Ali, was such. it was so great to see him win. It set the tone for the night uh, in a great way and he gave a beautiful speech and he had a kid four days ago, and he's just amazing. So I was thrilled about that, actually. And that was a great moment. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll talk about all of this and more at the end of this week once we've all gotten a little bit of sleep. I've gotten the hairspray out of my hair. But yeah, in the meantime, keep tweeting it at the Little Gold Men. Uh, Richard and I were talking about how the mentions have really picked up. It's really great hearing from everybody and knowing that you've uh, been following along all the time. And hopefully we've brought some clarity on this crazy night. And uh, we'll be back with another episode on Thursday. If you play old episodes backwards, it says Warren is wrong or Faye is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. 
I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. From PRX.